What's all this renewed talk about the public option? And why are down-ballot elections critical to your practice? We'll find out on part one of our quarterly visit with Jessica Waltman on this episode of Shift Shapers. Change either paralyzes or energizes. The choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change that you want to see. Here's your host and chief transformation strategist, David Saltzman. This episode of the Shift Shapers podcast is brought to you by Captivated Health, a captive insurance arrangement designed specifically for educational institutions. If you have clients in that vertical, you know the healthcare deck has been stacked against them. Today, Captivated Health offers the stability, control, and savings they've been waiting for. For more information, go to www.captivatedhealth.com or click on the company logo on the Shift Shapers website. On this episode of Shift Shapers, we're excited to have our quarterly visit with Jessica Waltman, who's principal at Forward Health Consulting. And for those of you who may not have heard Jessica's previous podcasts, geez, go back and listen to them because they're great. But besides that, Jessica's our resident expert on all things legislative, regulatory, and maybe more importantly, helps us understand the context around both and what they mean to both our clients and to our practices. So with that, welcome, Jessica. Thanks for having me back on the podcast, David. I always enjoy being here. We have enough to talk about for eight podcasts with the election going on and with all the other stuff, but let's start with today's news and then we can drill into some of the things that have happened more recently. There's a lot of talk about the public option again. I know that Hillary raised the issue some time ago. There was a little blurb in the Wall Street Journal eight or 10 weeks ago, but the discussion seems to be coming up and a headline that I saw this morning was that it, some people feel that it's the only way to, and the words they're using, not my words, is rescue ACA. What's up with the public option? Well, it's an interesting thing. So first of all, what is the public option? And you'll hear different people refer to it as different things from both sides. So when the ACA was being debated, we called it the government-run public plan option. And so in its probably simplest form, it's some type of government-run insurance plan that would compete with the private market. How this plan is run, managed? Is it a buy-in to Medicare? Is it a separate program? Is it something that's only for the individual market? Is it something for the group market? Is there other limits on it? Is it available in every state? Is it sold through the exchanges? These are all things that are, you know, no one knows and have been undefined. And during the debate on the ACA, in various iterations of the bills that when they were working their way through the committee process in the House and the Senate, there were government-run public plan options included in them. And then they were ultimately struck from the law as part of political compromise. And, you know, it's not exactly a the co-ops kind of came in as the replacement to them. And now that we see the co-ops failing for a variety of reasons, and we also see insurers pulling out of the individual insurance exchange market, I think that we're hearing from different people that perhaps the the public plan option, as, as you noticed in the headline, would be what would, air quote, save the ACA, or at least those components of the ACA where we have lack of insurance competition and we have, you know, the co-ops not necessarily a viable market option in most of the country. So if it's not viable in most of the country, 
where does it go? I mean, why, I guess the question that I'm stuck on is why do a lot of people seem to think that that's the only way to rescue ACA? Yeah, I don't really know. I think it's a very simple view of the ACA because as we all know, ACA is gigantic law, about a thousand pages plus about 40,000 pages of, of regulation. And this public option would address, you know, a very, very small part of it. So assuming, I think that what these people are saying is because the ACA and the public, the exchanges and this insurers publicly pulling out of exchanges is also something that's captivated the public attention. A government-run option, I think their viewpoint is, could come in and fill those holes. You know, you had a county in Arizona where there was no insurers there, and then Blue Cross kind of stepped up and said, okay, we'll service that market. There are people that are saying there's parts of the country where you can't buy insurance. But we know that that's not really true. It's the individual market. It's small segments. It's rural counties. I'm not saying that there's a ton of competition on the individual market exchanges. I'm just saying that that actually serves a very small portion of the American population and you know, really is not affecting the employer group market at all. So would a public option need to come in? I mean, it doesn't need to come in at all is, is certainly a, a question to debate, and I would argue no. But even if it did... You know, where, if, if that is the solution, is it for the individual market only or is it full scale? You could most definitely argue that it is not needed in the group space because you don't see insurers pulling out of that market. So it's still kind of a wait and see how this shapes up thing. Yeah, I think that if, it, if we move forward and we have a president elected that supports the public plan option, what everyone needs to be really focusing in on is what is the public plan option? And, you know, is it a good idea generally? I mean, again, I would argue, no, it's not that we should boost up individual, you know, private insurers. But if it does move forward, can we rein it in and say, okay, well, if you need to have a hole filled, where is that actual hole? Because is it needed in the large group space? No. Is it necessarily even needed in the small group space? Probably not. We don't have a competition problem there. You know, where do you possibly have, you know, a a competition problem in some places in the individual market? And is the public plan option the best way to fix a competitive problem? Again, I would say no, but I think that what brokers, employers, and others that are worried about the public plan option have to do is really make sure that we're focused on, you know, where there is a problem, where there are holes in the market. So while we're still at the 20,000 foot level, let's take a moment before we get into some of the more applicable regs and how they're rolling out and what advisors need to know about them. We talk an awful lot about the top of the ticket. We hear Clinton and Trump and Clinton and Trump, but there are a lot of interesting things happening in down ballot stuff also. What's going on there and how might that affect our industry? Right. Well, there the down ballot stuff is very important. And I think that perhaps the, the what everybody needs to think about is the likelihood, no matter who is elected president, that we're going to have divided government is extremely high. Because depending on who wins the presidency, the Democrats only need to pick up four or five seats in the Senate. Because if there was a President Clinton, then Vice President Kane would be the tiebreaker in the Senate. So they would only need four seats. And if you had a President Trump, they would need five. And there are 24 Republican seats being defended this year in the U.S. Senate. So that's a lot. 
And there's pretty competitive races in about 11 of them. So, and, and to be honest, you know, it's not looking so hot for Republicans in a number of them. I mean, you do have cases like Rob Portman in Ohio, where he has run a fabulous campaign and he is, you know, pretty much, you know, put the former governor, popular Democratic governor, Ted Strickland is, you know, just really trailing very, very badly behind him. And, and it didn't have to be that way. But you have other races where it's really tough. You have Kelly Ayotte in New Hampshire, here in Pennsylvania, where I am. Um, Pat Toomey is really uh, very much struggling to keep his seat in Illinois. We have um, an issue in Nevada with the open seat. We have Representative Hack really struggling in Wisconsin. So there's in North Carolina, Richard Burr struggling. So the likelihood that the Democrats take control of the Senate is super high. And so that would give whoever is the president a divided Congress. And given the lack of productivity with the Congress when they had both parties in majority, it just kind of paints a interesting picture for whoever is president. Yeah, one begins to wonder if anything's ever go- substantive is ever going to get done in Washington unless we have a situation where one party controls the White House and both houses of Congress again. Well, you know, this kind of segues into some of the others that we wanted to talk to. One of the ways that does get done, and I think that the stuff that gets done that really nitty gritty affects brokers and is affecting brokers right now and their clients right now is on the regulatory front. And the beauty of the ACA being this, you know, such an enormous law with so many different facets to it is that the regulations are, you know, practically non-ending. And even if you had a President Trump, if he was unable, well, first of all, even if he were successful in his stated goal to repeal the ACA, you would have to undo all of this that's been done so far, which doesn't happen overnight and would a lot of it be the burden of his administration through regulations. And if he can't repeal the ACA because he has a you know divided Congress, then they're going to have to work with the statutes that they have and try and pass new ones. And so they're going to have to work with regulatory framework that's already been set up. And now a word from our sponsor. Captivated Health is a single source solution for your clients and prospects who are in the education vertical. The founders of Captivated Health have nearly 20 years experience working with educational institutions. And over that time, They've developed a keen understanding of the unique problems these clients experience. Frustrated by a lack of control, the unpredictability of ever-increasing health care costs, and the pressures and regulations of the Affordable Care Act, these groups have been adrift in the fully insured commercial marketplace until now. Captivated Health has built a program that solves those problems, and it does so with virtually no disruption to faculty and staff while saving clients millions of dollars. We wanted you to be among the first to know that Captivated Health is building a national distribution partner network so you can bring this cutting-edge solution to the educational clients you advise. To learn more about the Captivated Health solution, go to their website at www.captivatedhealth.com or click on their logo on the Shift Shapers website. And now, back to our interview. Well, we, and we've talked on this podcast, you and I and, and other guests, that, that it's most frequently the regulation where we get stuck and where we see problems for the market and for working with our clients. The legislation generally isn't where that happens. 
Right, right. I mean, the legislation just really sets out the broad framework and then the details, which is what you know brokers are handling for their clients every single day, come out in the regulations. And I mean, even in a friendly administration, the regulatory burden can be enormous. And the thing is, once regulations are on the books, they are super difficult to get rid of. I mean, it's, it's almost impossible to completely get rid of them. You can dial them back, make changes to them, but you're just tweaking something that's already there. So, I mean, you're taking a ginormous book and just giving an edit, you know, you have the ability to edit it, but you can't delete the whole thing and start over except for in very rare cases. And so, you know, again, whoever is elected president is going to have to come in on the heels of the Obama administration's legacy and really going back, you know, you know, all past administrations and build on top of that. So, you know, they could go in and make changes to ERISA or they could make changes to, you know, ACA rules to try and reduce the burden on businesses, but they can't just completely strike them. So again, let's stay at the same level for a while. We've seen rising rates. We've seen a lack of individual market competition or exchange competition, and that seems to just be getting worse. We've seen co-ops going by the wayside, like leaves falling from trees in New England during the fall. How will that impact the group market in the future? What We talked about the public option a little bit as one thing that might be discussed. What other kinds of, for lack of a better word, fixes or, or options might you see coming that, that might alleviate some of those pressures? Well, so for the group market, I think there's two concerns. One, you know, which we already kind of talked about, is do people that are panicking about what's happening in the individual market, try to impose solutions that would also affect the group market for the worse. So would they say, okay, we need a public plan option to plug those holes in the individual market and we'll stick it in the group market also. So there's that kind of big threat. And then I think we also have to look at like what's going on in the individual market. Why is this happening? Well, the lack of individual market competition, the reason why carriers are pulling out of the exchanges, and I, and I don't know if it's individual market competition. The carriers are still there in the individual market. They just don't want to participate in the exchanges. And then also why the co-ops are failing all has to do with risk. And so, you know, there's a lot of reasons why the co-ops had trouble with the risk adjustment and what happened there with how risk is being managed in the individual market because we've taken away the ability to underwrite and we have the individual mandate. So we have all these people coming into the system. They're not necessarily healthy. And the Obama administration did not really necessarily handle the whole risk process very well. And then Congress didn't help by sometimes cutting the funding or putting pressures on there. So this whole risk adjustment that, you know, it's very boring, but is essential to a functioning insurance market, you know, that was bad. So first of all, can they focus in on that problem and fix it in the individual market? And I mean, the administration has taken some steps to tighten up the special enrollment periods and and to, to do better verification of documents and really check and see about exchange eligibility. But it's you know been a little bit too little too late. But does that risk issue then extend to the group market? Are carriers then, I think this is how it could probably more directly affect group rates, is our carriers going to really be looking at their risk then in the group market? And in the small group market, you know, we have some of the same risk adjustment issues. But then even in the large group market, are they going to be looking and saying, okay, we've gotten a whole bunch of people flooded in now because employers had to offer coverage to people that they didn't offer previously? You know, are they meeting their obligations? Do we have participation? Who's taking up this coverage? Are we going to have risk issues in the group market? Because, 
you know, it's great to have all these new people into the coverage system, but a lot of them haven't had coverage previously and they're pretty expensive to insure. The good thing with the group market is usually if it's tied to your job, you're sticking with that coverage. You're not hopping in and out when the going gets rough. That's not necessarily true of the individual market. So the group market definitely has that pool of risk that makes it better. But are the carriers going to be looking and saying, wow, we're, we're losing our shirts in the individual market, particularly in the exchange space. Let's take a long, hard look at our group business and see how we can tighten it up. That would have a big impact, I think, on on all the you know fully insured small and you know larger groups in the United States. You know, we we talked to Tom Policelli a few episodes ago about the kind of perverse things that have happened around all of the risk adjustment mechanisms and there are carriers that have been driven to bankruptcy in some markets, there are carriers that have gotten big checks and then gotten big debits as well. It seems really kind of like an exercise in cognitive dissonance. What do you think needs to be done to fix that mechanism? Well, it's pretty tough because, I mean, it's a three-part complicated mechanism, and now we're phasing it out, right? So, I mean, portions of it were not meant to be permanent, and we're at the end of the cycle here. So now HHS is proposing to make changes to the risk-adjusted mechanism to kind of prolong it because they're realizing that, that this, you know, the bad risk that was brought in didn't go away. I mean, it's a it's a really tricky topic. And I mean, this is something that I think if you had a change in administration, it's just so nerdy. But you'd be like to have a national conversation to say, okay, we need to get these bodies into the coverage system. But like, let's recognize that some people cost way more than we thought. Not a judgment, you know, like we're not trying to discriminate against people, but just recognizing that some some people are high-end users of the system. And then also, why are they high-end users of the system? Like, what are driving the costs? I mean, it gets into very complicated issues. I mean, there's one thing to adjust and spread the risk so that no insurer is taking too much of a load. But then you can also look at, like, where are their costs coming from and why? And, I mean, that's where you can get into really, I think, some interesting things relative to cost containment because, I mean, as we know, like, these these costs don't come out of nowhere. They're borne by these people's medical care expenses. So, I mean, you can also look, you know, if you, if you wanted to, look at their claims data and try and draw some, I mean, there's probably a lot of interesting stuff in there. And is there any way that we can manage, you know, through value-based initiatives and, and other means to look at like where are those costs coming from and why and help it on that end hope you know kind of help the consumer with their medical costs and hopefully get better quality of care for them so I mean there's a lot of different ways that you could really tackle this problem and I mean they're gonna get so so nerdy and I'm as you know happy to like get in and debate with people about that I'm not sure if it's the point of a podcast but there's a, there's a lot of ways to go, and it would, be, it would be exciting, I think, and, and it's potential with either administration, potential administration, if they're willing to get in and really examine this issue and why, you could make some really profound changes about healthcare costs in this country. Unfortunately, in Washington, I'm not sure that either administration you know, is, is going to go there, but that's what I think needs to be done. Well, but if they don't go there and they don't solve this problem, are we going to see continued shrinkage in the number of insurers that want to play in those markets? Right. Well, that's, you know, there, you know, again, and that's the typical Washington problem, right? That they don't, they're very reactive. And are they going to 
really take a long, hard look and solve something long run? Or are they going to come up with some type of short-term stopgap solution that isn't the best thing for everybody because all of a sudden they have a gigantic problem staring them in the face? Yeah. I mean, it, it could very easily become the new doc fix and just keep getting kicked down the road a year at a time. Right, right. So, I mean, that's something where brokers can continue to raise that conversation because few people understand all these pieces. Absolutely. And as you said, it's a tripart mechanism. It's very complicated. I mean, I heard somebody at a meeting I was at last week refer to Switzerland and the fact that, you know, they've got risk adjustments and they've had them for years and the carriers are required to take all comers and whatnot. And what they miss and something I remember Reggie Herzlinger pointing out a number of years ago is that Switzerland is really closely analogous to New England, but it's not analogous to the United States where we have such regional variation. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, you know, and it's regional variation. And then even within a certain state, I mean, you can have, I know in some rural counties in Georgia, they're some of the most expensive because of provider negotiating issues. And then you have other parts of the state where things are very low cost. So even within a certain state, you can have widespread variations. So yes, I mean, you always have to take into the, you know, the really geographical huge size difference of the United States when you're trying to maybe apply some European or other country solutions. And then also, you know, with risk adjustment, we do though have a national model. I mean, there is risk adjustment in Medicare. So the health reform risk adjustment isn't necessarily modeled on that. We mean, we may want to look at things that have actually worked within our own country. And so even though Medicare isn't perfect, you could draw from that. No, I mean, really, we want to look at things that have worked and replicate them. I know, right? It's crazy. That's not fun. Madness. That's, I know. Who's, I mean, it, that's wild. Nobody would ever do that. The Shift Shapers podcast is a production of Strategic Vision Publishing and David Saltzman. This podcast may not be reproduced in any form, in whole or in part, without the express written permission of the producers. All rights reserved.